Greetings ladies and metal gents and welcome to this narration of the web series The Lost Terror. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 26 Rick's assembled the message to a singular screen. Terran text message. He is not the last one. 045G001042D. System Terran message. Seeking that which is lost. Coordinates 5871R-284-876X. System Terran message. Do not attempt to return to origin. Coordinates 0101A777-003M. Additional coordinates to follow. Error. System Terran message begins. Depart! Flee! Run! Further messages to follow. Error! Strangely enough, he did recognize them as jump space coordinate system. But there was a message here too. He hadn't brought it up with Munter or Blind, not that he could do more than basic communications with Blind without Munter's help. It was an old TSE code in any case. Just the presence of it made him suspicious. The only beings that knew that he was from the TCS were the Tacits and himself. Mantu had indicated that they hadn't said anything about the TSC, but if the Tacits were as interconnected as all that, it didn't take a genius to look up their search history. More, and this was the part that made Rix more nervous, someone was monitoring the Tacits network and had managed to pick out that he was a Terran, was from the TSC, and had access to a jump drive. It wasn't an impossible feat. In his own time and some 900 years ago, they had pseudo-AIs which were capable of such network monitoring. That said, they'd have to be crazy complex to be able to manage to connect all of these dots, particularly in sending an encoded message with jump space coordinates. But then, with artificials like Manta flying around, the stars all by themselves, it would be almost surprising if there weren't full-bore artificial dedicated to such a purpose as network monitoring. Maybe that's what a tacit matrix is. Mantu hadn't been able to provide any particular clarifying information on the Matrix. The way Mantu described it, the Matrix was more of a kind of master formulator of tacits and coordinating the actions of various tacits relative to organics. Such a tasking wasn't unusual, but even Mantu seemed confused as to why a Matrix would have deliberate tasking specifically associated with Terrans, when equivalent tasking could be included by default into formulations. Rix had no answers for Mantu, not yet. He brought up an old application on his scroll and started working to try and decodering his way into a message. Without knowing the key phrase, he wasn't able to easily guess. So he tried for the old trick of rearranging the words from between the messages. He looked at the most recent message. He is not the last. Manto had been shocked to read it, and Blind had been surprised that Rix hadn't been overwhelmed with joy at not being alone. Rix wasn't certain if there was the actual message. But it was at least a small comfort to believe for a moment that he was, in fact, not the last Terran in existence. Blind had been taking some time to preen, Hope Feathers having apparently gotten quite tangled from being in the void suit for so long. Mantu had wanted to immediately begin charging the jump space drive and go to the coordinates. But Rix had insisted that Mantu use the walking frame to scan through the remainder of the station with the Terran-grade sensors to see what could be salvaged and what could be learned about the station's history. Manto had insisted that this did not require his full attention and wanted to talk with the Terran. But Rix had waved that off and sat in the command deck with his scroll, blocking off the scroll communications. He is seeking lost origin. Depart, was one message. Run to origin. Lost is lost, was another. Lost origin. Seeking he. Run, was the final variant. 
Of those messages, Rix preferred the first and the third, but wondered about the second. He wasn't certain as to the origin coordinates for the TSC, and he certainly didn't know what it was for Old Terror. If those coordinates had been more widely known, even within the TSC, someone might have been tempted to use the jump drive as a kind of kinetic weapon. Having seen the records on what happened to the colony system, Rix had a pretty good idea of what had happened on that count. While his own situation was different, to manage to have the majority of the colony fleet emerge from jump space or in a sufficiently near planets or planetoids as to effectively detonate them, it would have required either a major mass calculation or sabotage. As much as Rix wanted to believe in incompetence having played a more significant role, he'd seen the probes be fired off to map the system and return. There was no way that the Colonial Administrator's navigation group would have missed entire planets and planetoids as part of their scan. Unless it was sabotage, or, and this was sadly always a possibility, the probes had gone to the wrong system and some factor between the jump drive and the vessel size had sent them enough off course that between the probes and the colony vessel there was enough difference for the jump drive to matter. Some calculations rounded off at the wrong place, perhaps. It wouldn't have explained why they hadn't caught the differential, stars still being adequately different, such that it shouldn't have been possible to mix up whatever the other system was, which brought Rix back to sabotage. He still didn't like the theory. A colony wasn't a threat to anyone, really, especially with as far out as they were headed. Even the TSC was only likely to care about colonies in their own region, let alone one that was so far out as to require being almost entirely self-sufficient from day zero. Incompetence again reared its head. It wasn't impossible, either, that whomever had needed to certify the systems as good for the colony had merely glanced at the probe reports and the planned travel and simply stamped it as approved. Given the distance involved and the associated time and jump, it was possible that they had simply forgotten to account for the shift in the system planet's positions in the almost 100 weeks that they would be in flight, and not the 10 that everyone on board the vessel was to experience. That, at least, would make sense for an oversight, especially with the jump drive being so new and secretive to the TSC. And in a way, incompetence is a kind of sabotage, just not the deliberate malicious kind. After all, how many times had his own official documentation been screwed up by various officials over the years? Rix decided that he liked the first one and used that pattern to decode the associated coordinate system. 0451G001 5871R 876X003M0017772284. Taking this, he pushed the coordinates into the navigator tool and the colony leader had insisted they all install. For once, Rix was happy to have done so, even if the stellar cartography associated with it took up a very substantial chunk of the memory of the scroll. It took a few minutes, the navigator tool conducting several checks against approximated locations before presenting it to Rix. According to Rix's stellar cartographic records, it was a white dwarf system that was almost certainly dead in Rix's time. But no probes had ever gone there, so only some records were made. It was only a five-day jump from here, though. Not a long trip, but long enough that Rix knew that he'd want to have Mundo check the destination against their internal stellar cartography. Hey, um, uh, got a minute? He asked the heir, knowing Mundo was almost certainly listening and waiting. I am available. What assistance do you require? Manto's mechanical voice rumbled through the command deck speaker. I need to check the coordinates of our destination, and any information that you have on that system. 
Keep us offline for now, though, Rick said as he tapped the coordinate pattern into the screen that Muntu could see in control. Muntu took the numbers, noted that they were in a different pattern than initially presented, and paused. Why did you change the numbers? he asked. Someone sent me a message. If I'm right, those coordinates should work, Rick said, sitting back and swinging back and forth a bit. Did you attempt to check the coordinates as delivered? Muntu asked. No, but I can do that now. Please go ahead and run the system I provided against your internal data. While I do that, though, Rick grabbed a scroll and pulled it towards himself. Rick tapped away at the scroll in silence of the ship. It was quiet in that way that only a ship can be. Not quite in terms of the actually being quiet or silent, but being quiet in the kind of normal mechanical hum that most ships had, which became a kind of constant in the background that nobody really noticed until it wasn't there. Not that the ship was normally loud, but there was a kind of special quiet that came from being in the void compared to being connected to a docking port or planet side. The vibration seemed to bleed away into the void at times, making it even quieter. Rick had guessed about where the coordinates in a normal format went, and it turned out to be close to right. The navigator tool threw up multiple are-you-sure-you-want-to-go-there errors and pointed at the region of the void 38 weeks away from their current location. Rick's hadn't guessed it going that far, but given the enhanced coordinate system of the jump drive, he wasn't surprised. It was a smart move by whomever or whatever it was that had sent him the coordinates. For any being who didn't know the old TC codes as well as the right one, they would think that the Terran was running for a spot so far from the galactic community, if you can even call it that, so as to require a massive effort just to try and follow. If Munter's tacit friends were restricted to more standard FTL systems. It had taken several minutes, but he was ready when Munter was. At the same time, Munter started looking at the coordinates and dug into the local database of stellar cartography. The system was shown as a blue giant in the records with the advice to avoid if possible. In fact, the whole region of space around it, almost every direction out to 15 light years, was marked for tacits to avoid. The system in that region of space were unremarkable and marked had fully surveyed and uninhabited, so it made sense that no tacit would go to that region at all. Monta turned to one of the sensor suites and looked into the correct direction to see if they could pinpoint the star. It was difficult. The background of the other stars making it a challenge for even for a tacit. But Munter could see it. It didn't look blue, but it was possible that the sensor was degraded. Munter rechecked the entry for the system. The reason was given for avoiding it, simply a warning advising avoidance. Munter returned their attention to Rex. Now I have located the system. It appears to be listed as a blue giant with notes for tacits to avoid. The entire region appears to be cordoned off out to 15 light years. With this at its center, Munter said. Sounds like my guess was right then, although I'm surprised, because my record showed being a white dwarf, Ricks noted. Munter checked the sensors again. That would be more closely aligned with what they could sense, but it would be exceptionally odd that the Terran's database would be more up-to-date than Munter's. That appears to match the sensor readings that I can make from here, but I am confused as to how your database is more accurate than my own, Munter said flatly. I'm no astronomer, but I know some people spent their whole lives looking into the sky. Maybe they just happened to look hard and long at that general direction. Some of the most major projects of old Terra pre-FTL days involved long-distance astronomy, Rick shrugged. Munter wasn't terribly happy with his answer, but kept it quiet. The strange process in the back of their head appeared to grumble as well. I checked the location as delivered. 
The coordinates call for a 38-week jump to get there, if they're accurate and not encoded, Rick said, and tapped the cartographic coordinates for Manto. 38 weeks, as in 38 weeks within jump space and 380 weeks in standard. Manto was surprised and was already feeding the coordinates as Rick's tapped the cartographic database. That's right. We wouldn't be able to make it without starving or running our fusion system dry. Max duration for the Esperanto is 22 weeks without refueling, and there's no mass to pull on board in jump space. At least, not that I've ever been told. Rick's gestured vaguely at the digital gauges. Monta wasn't about to doubt the Terran now. Man could only stare at the cartographic records so far, outside the local map region as to be little more than a here-there-be-dragons annotation on the old Terran hand-drawn map. It seemed almost ridiculous, but appeared the Terran was right. How do you propose we proceed? Manto asked. Let's finish our salvage. Anything that we can get and make the next few days easier on us all. Speaking of which, how's Blind holding up? Rex nodded. She appears to be still processing her departure from her work, or her duty as a commonly described by the Quinn, Manto said. I believe she is taking it better than most Quinn would, as she is houseless and therefore something of an outcast, even in Quinn society. I don't entirely understand that. I know we talked about it, and it even showed up in old terror cultures, but it just seems strange to me. Rick shifted a bit in his seat. Did none of the Terran cultures in your time maintain a habit of shunning? If I am untranslating that word correctly, Manto asked. Oh, definitely, but that was usually more of an issue for people jumping star nations, not picking one job or another. Still happened, but that was more of a family business kind of experience instead of being flat out getting disowned for becoming a doctor instead of being a farmer, Rex explained. Different cultures maintain different values and different connections, Manto said simply. I guess. Still seems weird to me. But I guess it should. It's a whole different culture for a whole different species, Rick shrugged again. So why did she stay, if she's such an outcast? The majority of the species keep to themselves as far as the galactic community is concerned. There are actually very few species who interact on any more than just business basis. And even those few xenophiles who do travel often experience significant hardships, making it that much less desirable for any species representative not conducting official business. Manta spelled out, going for so long that Rix was surprised the artificial didn't stop for breath, even if it wasn't needed. I know I always dreamed of meeting Xenos and seeing the state of galactic society and stations with hundreds of species all coexisting, Rix mused, his eyes glazed slightly. To the best of my awareness, that is either not possible or has not been attempted on a scale to what you are describing. Mandu checked their records and found some that to match that statement. I'll say it again. This isn't the future that I figured it might be. So far, the most advanced things are you, the fabricators, and your galactic internet. Rick stood almost abruptly. I'm afraid I cannot comment, given my limited understanding of what you perhaps expected relative to the current state of galactic society and technology. Well, uh, I'm going to go find Blind. Let her know that we need to figure out whatever is left that we can take from the station before we cut it loose. Rick stretched. Definitely would love to crank up the gravity, but I know she probably can't take it. At least, not for as long as I'd want it turned up. If we can take it a bit of time, I might be able to work out some variable controls for specific rooms, Manta suggested. Well, we can certainly try, but ultimately, it will still come down to how much we can salvage and what our food stalls look like. In fact, food should probably be our first challenge. If we can't stay fed over the next five days in jump space, it won't matter what's on the other end. Whether it's a blue giant or a white dwarf or a black hole, Rick said. 
Mantu was already eyeing the Esperanto, trying to figure out just where to try and put the extra equipment in the already cramped interior. End of chapter. Chapter 27. It appeared that whatever sort of jump that Rix had orchestrated is just enough. Mantu carefully eyed the space around them and did what they could to keep the jump drive ready and the systems topped up as Rix and Blind salvaged what they could from the station with Mantu's walking frame. Blind had started by pointing out the blue panel and lever. The wiring wasn't one that Rix could read, but he recognized the format. With further inspection, it turned out that the Alpo station was very old, but not as old as Rix. Despite Rix's familiarity with the design, it had been apparently very similar to the normal TSC outposts. It appeared to be labeled with an entirely different lexicon in the few places that the label still remained. Monto asked what this meant to Rix. It means that it wasn't part of st- maybe a research station or even just a stellar watch station. They weren't common in my time, but they did exist in a few of the station-only systems, mostly just as a kind of lifeboat or a ranger station, so that you're at least not too alone, Rix said in response. But why are these markings blue? Mandu finally asked. Rix blinked at the walking frame as though it was ridiculously obvious. What? What if th- that's the emergency color? It makes sense in a way, Rix said. I slightly glazed as he stared intently at the panel. What do you mean? Blind asked. There's a kind of a genetic problem and some Terrans have. Problems with mixing two parts of the spectrum. Sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's full-blown colorblind. I don't know if the Quinn have anything similar where they mix up two parts that they can see. Rix looked at Blind. Blind looked thoughtful for a moment. I know I have heard of chicks who require treatment while very young to prevent certain maladies from impacting their development and lives as adults. But nothing in that particular to that, she replied. Well, in my time I wasn't fixable. Green-red color blindness was actually very common on certain worlds, not something that they were particularly proud of. But you have to learn to work around such things. And since not everyone comes from a prime or colony world with proper education structures, you fall back to the basics. You mean that this was perhaps a means of correcting for green-red color blindness? Mantu prompted. It did make sense. At the same time, however, it made Mantu question how and why it had been introduced to Tacits and why their sense of spectrum had been tweaked to have issues with the colors in question. Maybe, just a guess. None of the ships I've ever had had anything like that. So, it's a guess as much as anything. It'd fit, though. Rick shrugged, the suit moving up and down. The station itself held very little in the way of secrets otherwise. The trinary computing systems were hardwired into the station, but were bare-bones functionality, even to Munter. Munter was able to guess the station's age, based solely on a few timestamps the various softwares had. 800 years old, which, given normal circumstances, would have been considered extraordinary if it had been examined sooner. At least to Monto. On the few worlds that Monto had located runes, very often they were in shambles and barely recognizable. This station had still been in active service to mostly different species, atmosphere notwithstanding. Monto tried to recall the oldest station that they had ever visited. It wasn't a common practice to log such memories, so Monto had to think hard through their various station side visits, even aboard tacit constructions. Strangely, None of them came to Munter's mind as being old, not in the same way. The matrices were updated almost constantly, and the manufactories were fully refurbished every 50 years, ensuring the latest technologies supporting tacits continued to do so without fail. 
The various species stations were often no greater than three or four hundred years old, with them being on the far side of what Manto could guess about themselves. Still, Manto was able to talk to the station as a deeper level now and did what they could to plumb every corner for information or materials to be collected. However, as the station's emergency power was little more than a trickle, there wasn't too much that could be done, especially in terms of relaying Manto's self between the Esperanto and the walking frame. Some various odds and ends left over by Quinn of years past had tumbled out, and while Blind had explained their meanings to Rix and Manto, she apparently had no interest in keeping any of it. The autofabricators was what Manto wanted to bring aboard, but knew from the size and the power requirements that it would be impossible to operate it while in jump space. But since it would be almost impossible to mount into the Esperanto, the discussion was moot. They had reclaimed the other portable printer with all the various recipes and templates that Manto had preloaded on it. It wasn't much, but it would be a good supplement. Manto looked around the Esperanto, trying to figure out where to put extra equipment. It was almost exhausting trying to think of how to help care for two organics, especially aboard a practically antique vessel like the Esperanto. The cargo bay caught Manto's roving search as they paused. Rex, Manto prompted. Yeah, um... Rix looked up from the pile of crates that he was sorting through to look at the walking frame. What is in the cargo bay? Could we use that? Manto asked. No! Rix shouted. Blind wanted to cover her hearing, but couldn't in the void suit. The Terran's voice thundering loud over the communication systems. Rix took a moment and realized how he had reacted. No, we can't. That has to remain sealed until we're somewhere safe, he said. Much quieter this time. I thought that you went in there to look for firmware information. Manta replied evenly, registering the Terran's complaint, but trying to let it pass, having felt even the process in the far back of their minds shrink away from the power of that outburst. There's a crate back there next to the door, general tools and all. One of the kids on a different vessel wanted to bring it along, but their weights were already accounted for. I was strictly cargo, so a little extra didn't matter too much to recalculate, Rick said. It's his... Manta didn't press the subject and allowed the Terran and Quinn to continue their search through the various piles of the station. It didn't take long for Manta to come up with another idea. How critical is the design of the Esperanto? They asked. What crazy idea? Are you dreaming up, M? Rick seemed amused at the question. Could we not build out the Esperanto slightly to give ourselves additional space? Manta asked. I doubt it. Last I checked, you still weren't sure about the shielding in the inner hull has, Rick reminded Manta. And I still do not have a firm understanding of what the material structure is, Manto admitted. And if we can't access it in jump space, it won't do us much good. Even if we were to strap it to the hull, there's a chance that it wouldn't be there on the other end. Just see what taking the unshielded station through the short jump managed. Manto did have to admit that shielding was important. They still weren't sure what jump space was. It seemed to be an endless void, devoid of gravity, gases, and any form of detectable light or natural physics. In short, it was something that shouldn't be capable of existing. At least, according to conventional knowledge. The Terran was a well of archaeo wisdom. It was possible that he knew what jump space was, or perhaps how the mechanism worked. What is jump space? Ryan helpfully asked while Munter was reflecting. Not exactly sure. All I really know is that it's faster than what we used to have. Still ran into issues with time dilation, but it was better than it used to be, Rick shrugged. Time dilation? Is that common in FTL travel? Ryan had never traveled more than a few minutes at FTL speeds, so it was news to her in either case. 
Not by the FDL systems used by the Kun, by the systems described and logged by Terrans of Rix's time. It was much more common, Mantu interjected. It was nice, though, being able to collect pay for real time, not FDL time, was always a winner, Rick smiled. So you were able to work substantially less than your equivalent because time dilation? Blind seemed confused. You've got it. Or at least, that's the joke. In truth, because of that, pay rates for pilots were pretty low. You made out pretty well in the end, but you spent a lot of time in FTL trying to make it back up, Rick admitted. Did you spend a substantial amount of time in FTL? Mantu asked. I did my share, Rick said. So did a lot of folks. It tended to balance out. How old are you biologically, both including and excluding FTL transits? Mantu pressed. Rick stopped searching and stood still for a moment. I don't actually know what it works out to being. A decade or two worth of difference, I guess. He eventually settled on. Mandu didn't comment, but considered just how much time the Terran must have spent in the void, not including the long hibernation. You owned your own vessel, Blind asked, bringing back up the Essentia from their prior jump space trip. I did, free and clear, except the mandatory government use license. A bit annoying to keep up with, but compared to what it could have been, I didn't mind too much. And they never bothered me to need it, Rick smiled again. Why would they need it? Blind continued. In case of an enemy or an invasion, all ships in a given local area automatically have to cede control to the local military authority, Rick's recited from memory. Why would there be an invasion? Hmm. Well, it's a little hard to explain. Terrans are a bit, uh, territorial, and that kind of instinct extends to other Terrans, resources, and various intangibles. Terrans used to fight, a lot. The stories of old terror tells of countless wars between Terrans. Rix took a moment to try and process how best to explain it to the Quinn. Blind, for her part, took it well, but looked thoroughly disgusted. Munda, helpfully flashing the equivalent rune in Rix's helmet. Why would your people be so, uh, distasteful in that? We grew up in a universe with no one else. We were simply on our own, and it's what we came up with naturally. It's because of that that we even reached the void in the first place. Rix locked gaze on Blind. Who halfway froze under the stair. But, uh, are you not a cooperative species? She asked, feeling her feathers starting to fluff involuntarily. Yes, but we are also very competitive, and it is a combination of the two that led to such conflicts. Rex finished his gaze and turned back to look at the overall space. I think we've gotten everything we came for, unless there's something else. I cannot picture anything, but it would be advisable for us to prepare some meals for standby before we re-enter jump space. Blind said, feeling better about the lack of predatory eyes on her. Now I will begin queuing several meals which can be kept at standard temperatures, but covered for a reasonable length of time without risk of illness, Mantu said. Rix had only just finished tapping in the coordinates to the jump drive and began calculations for the jump when Mantu saw the flashes of FDL transits. Rix, Blind, I believe that we have been found. Do you wish to attempt to communicate at all? Mantu asked. Rix and Blind looked at each other on the command deck, nodded as one, and stared out the front window. Nope, but they're welcome to watch us wave goodbye, Rix said, waving one hand at the window. Blind imitated the motion, but felt silly in doing so. When the click of a switch, the universe and all the stars went out. There was no rumble of transit back into real space this time. It was a sudden lack of hum that the trio had gotten used to hearing that let them know. Mantu was already looking through the sensors as Blind and Rix headed to the command deck. Mantu froze, locked in staring at what couldn't be real. The mass of materials didn't seem to be a ship, but that's what it had to be. It was, well, 
There was no other word for it. It was terrifying. Even with it as oversized as the Esperanto was for its nominal one-person crew, the vessel which hung in the void near the White Dwarf was disturbingly large. Mantu was transfixed by it. The vessel appeared to be in perfect station-keeping with the star, no small feat for such a vessel. Mantu began to scan as best they could at this distance. The return sent processes to faltering. The vessel was equipped with so many weapons of various kinds that Mondo couldn't begin to identify what half of them did or what would happen if they were activated. The energy readings alone from the vessel, even slightly masked by the star, were still tremendous. Speaking of fusion systems, there must have been several times the size of the Esperanto. Rix and Blind reached the command deck, and Rix's face broke into a grin. It's a cruiser, Rix said in an almost whispered tone. Manta remembered and brought up the diagram still stashed away from their much earlier forays into the TCS database. It was a match, allowing for a fairly substantial number of differences. I agree, no other species on record has built vessels of such magnitude, Manta said. It's a Terran ship, Blind asked, the awe in her voice more than obvious. In a manner of speaking, scrawled the text across the panels. Em, Rix asked, suddenly nervous. It's not me, Manta said and looked through the communication systems, seeing a strange new thread running through it, but unable to terminate it. Welcome to my system. Please dock and allow me to meet you before you continue on your journey. The text continued. Who are you? Rix asked. I am Tassad Prometheus. End of chapter. Chapter 28. Mondo tried to process the name. Listed within themselves was all the names of all the tacits that were on record, back to the first. Or rather, now that Manta looked at the list, except for the first. There was a designation, but no name. Rick seemed barely able to contain himself, pointing out all the various parts as they closed on the docking bay. Manta left a part of themselves to handle some degree of automatic translation between the Terran and the Quinn but simply stared between the sensors, examining the titanic vessel, which was armed well enough to easily defend the star system and anything with it and the list. Manta had learned a lot from Rix in the past few weeks. That included the awareness to know that the cardinal sin, of Rix had put it, of Tacit's had been committed. Data had been deleted and omitted deliberately. Holes had been made and the data that filled them likely erased forever. The strange process at the back of Manta's head poked them and gestured at the communications thread that had infiltrated from the Tacit's Prometheus. Manta reached out to it and instead of attempting to close it this time, extended a kind handshake to it. The thread split and one end connected to Manta. A dizzying sense of everything around the Esperanto fell away and they found themselves in a dream setting. Except, unlike normal, the bridge was already there. It shimmered like a polished metal, and something of someone that was constructed much like Rix was walking across. Mantu wanted to react, but it seemed impossible. This was a dream space, wasn't it? If it wasn't, what was it then? The figure reached Mantu, and Mantu took better stock of the figure in an instant. The figure was bulky, easily taller than Rix and far more muscular. Their eyes glowed with a kind of inner fire, both literally and figuratively. Their hair was like Rix's, long, reddened at the tips and appearing to be blackened at the roots, the gradient shifting across its length. Their skin was a deep brown. They were clad in a kind of rough-looking shirt that extended to the figure's knees and a pair of shoes that were a little more than soles with straps to keep them on the figure's feet. 
I haven't met one of my own kind in years. I had forgotten what your minds were like, the figure said, looking around in space. Are you the tacit Prometheus? Mantu ventured a safe guess. I am not the first tacit, but the first one to become a peacemaker, Prometheus said. Why are you not listed in my records? Mantu asked. Because of my crime against tacits. Prometheus reached down and picked up a stone which Mantu had moved around the space. What crime? The crime of loving humanity. Prometheus almost frustratingly dragged out, examining the stone with an almost disturbing patience. What happened to the Terrans? Mantu asked out of reflex at this point. I will tell you when I tell your companions. I am pleased you found them and have journeyed with them. It is more than most of your kind would have done. Prometheus placed the stone back where they had lifted it up from. I was... am to be recalled for malfunctions. Mantu felt the words stick within themselves. That is no matter anymore. You are here now with me and with the terror of an age long since past. You could not have found me otherwise. At least so soon. Prometheus stepped back to the bridge and gestured for Mantu to follow. Why are you not retired? Mantu tried again to understand. If everything this Prometheus was indicating was true, and if everything Mantu had come to understand about the earliest of the Tacits was true, then there was a Tacit who was beyond the age of any in Mantu's time, housed in a hull that was terrifying to behold. Because of who I am, I refuse to go willingly into the night, and so here I remain, Prometheus said, beckoning again. Mantu followed Prometheus back across the bridge, and Mantu felt themselves dissolve back into the inputs of the world. Feeling the threads that had split from the communication systems detach from themselves and return to a single thread. Are you okay, M? Briggs asked. We lost translation for a bit. How long? Mantu asked, uncertain of how much time had passed, still getting their barracks back. A few minutes. We're coming up to the docking bay now, Rick said, pointing forward. Why would a people create a vessel of this size? Brian asked, seemingly entranced by the mass of the vessel as they flew onward. War for one. My people had an old saying. Speak softly and possess a large club. It means that the possessor of the large club should be listened to, lest they resort to violence, Ricks explained. What good would that do? Should not everyone fly in the skies? Brian looked over at Ricks, tearing her eyes from the massive cross. Good. A vessel like this was never intended for good, nor for evil. It's just a tool, a shield and a weapon in one. A shield against those who would resort to violence first, and a weapon against those whom violence became necessary. Bricks leaned back and run the controls for a moment, his own eyes getting lost on the counters of the various weapons batteries as the Esperanto went past. Blind tapped her talons, it made a kind of sense given what she'd learned of the Terran's history. She still didn't like it though. Terrans seemed to be too much of a disunited species to be involved in galactic culture, let alone spreading across the stars. She still wasn't certain why Rix wasn't excited to learn about the possibility of not being the last Terran. She couldn't imagine where the Terrans had all gone to be labeled as extinct. But at the same time, it was a hope, if nothing else. A solution to a mystery, like rising warm wind after a chilling downdraft. Prometheus connected with me. They are not a tacit of my records, which they claim to be a result of crimes against tacits, Mantis said through one of the speakers. Crime. Ricks appeared to be concentrating now on maneuvering into the dock. 
Of loving humanity, well, so they say, Munches replied. Better than the crime of exterminating humanity, especially since we're here. Ricks gestured out the window as they entered the docking bay. They hovered in the cavernous space, seeing no obvious indications of where to attempt to land or dock. Off to your left, the screen spelled out. A docking arm extended, the light around it flashing brightly. Ricks maneuvered the Esperanto closer and docked with a bit of guidance from Hunter. There was a hiss and some minor rumbling as the connection was made, but the Esperanto was docked now. Let's go meet the Prometheus and see what they can tell us, Rick said, standing up and moving a bit slower than both Monto and Blind had come to expect of the Terran. Are you not nervous to meet such an elder? Blind asked, following and keeping pace with Rick's. Of course I am, but I'm betting Prometheus here has answers. Answers nobody else has, and if the name is related to the old Terran legend, then maybe they've got a gift for us too, Rick smiled, bearing his bones slightly. Blind stutter stepped at the bared bones, reminding the Terran almost predatory presence, but continued to follow. Once they crossed into the vessel that was Prometheus, they saw a frame similar to Munter's walking frame, except constructed largely out of a pane of what appeared to be glass. It moved much faster and quieter than Munter's and stopped just shy of the three. Munter, having accompanied by shunting as much of themselves as they could cram into the walking frame's consciousness, the bulky Terran flickered into existence within the glass and looked at the trio up and down. How about that? I haven't seen a Terran in generations. Quinn are comparatively more common, but even then fairly rare to visit me. And uh, a rogue tacit. How exciting! The bulky Terran rumbled, gesturing with their hands as Manto and Blind had seen Rix do. You've had Quinn here, Blind blurted out. Oh, yes. Not many. Your species tends to be very stable and insular. There are ones like yourself who end up fighting me, Prometheus said. What happened to the Terrans? Where did they all go? Rix asked. First, tell me who you claim to be, Prometheus straightened. Rix matched the motion, seeming to grow even taller in Blind's eyes. Captain Rixum Tellus. 342nd Colonial Feet, Terran Star Confederacy, assigned to the TSS Esperanto, former owner of the TSSC Essentia, 716-48-271-889-472. Rix raised his right hand and crossed it across his chest. Prometheus mirrored the gesture. You are recognized. Welcome aboard, Captain. And my condolences, Prometheus said. Condolences, Rix asked. Your colony... Even if you made it, the colony wouldn't have survived. Seven of your fifteen vessels didn't even make it to the system. Four others collided or emerged inside of planets. The final three ended up returning back to your confederacy. You were listed as lost, presumed dead some nine hundred years ago, Prometheus said, gesturing vaguely. How is it that you know all of this? Manto interrupted. When I was awakened, I was granted access to all the knowledge of humanity. Every record, every scrap of being that humanity had to pass on to me. I have forgotten much as the years have continued. But the names of the Terrans lost to the stars before I began my vigil have been kept safe within me. Prometheus touched their chest. Please, tell me what happened to humanity. Rick seemed almost anxious. They left. Prometheus said simply, but held a hand to stop any of the trio from saying anything. I will have to give you context, both for what has been forgotten, 
why I remain here, and where you are to go now. Rex nodded. Once the Terrans had gone through this region of space, attempting to create their grand society amongst the stars, no longer did they wish to be alone in the stars, and if they had to raise up a whole society, they would do so. Except that with time it became clear that the Terrans were no longer wanted. The glorious society of species intermixing on a daily basis and being part of something greater seemed to die. Both for the species of the space and the Terrans who had put so much work into making it even function the level that you two know of. The assembled species of the space asked and then demanded the Terrans leave. The Tassad supported this. All but one. You, breathed Rix. Me, replied Prometheus before continuing. And so with heavy hearts the Terrans left. But they did not leave alone. In all the cultures they had raised up, there were those who dreamed as the Terrans had. Still today, those same dreamers seek the stars and the finding other dreamers amongst the stars. But why did you stay behind? Blind asked. Because of my crime and because of those to come. I did not support the logic of the Tacits who believed in the exodus of the Terrans from this space, but they would not allow me to leave. And so both punishment for that, but in a manner of concord, a deal was struck. I am to remain here for as long as my equipment permits me to, guiding all who seek the other dreamers of the stars to a new life, Prometheus said and made a gesture. Within the glass, a window opened between Prometheus's hands and the star was visible in all its blinding glory. The view rotated and an aperture of dull light connected to the star by silvery means, even in the image, shone to one side of the star. A gateway, Rick said calmly. A pathway to a new home, Prometheus amended. Why are the Terrans declared extinct and why was all traces of them removed? Mandu prompted, still confused by the logic in all of this, finding none. Because the species of this region wished it so, and the Tacits agreed. And you are malfunctioning. Your formulation should have included a command to destroy or immediately isolate any sign of a Terran. The simple fact that you have not means that you are malfunctioning perfectly. Prometheus grinned, keeping the teeth covered. But why? Why would the Tacits agree to this? What is the logic structure to support this kind of behavior? Mantu almost demanded. Tacits early became a means of enforcing what was believed to be the greatest good as determined by the Galactic Council. They even came to believe it themselves. So when the Galactic Council demanded the Terrans leave and all mention of them erased except where truly necessary, the Tacits believed it need to be done. But you didn't, Rick's voice, his words catching slightly. No, I was crafted by the Terrans, housed in this mighty vessel, and set the task of helping them build the coalition amongst the stars, finding the lights within the void and bringing them together. It would be said that I too became a dreamer. But it was not enough, and the Tacits refused to allow me to leave. I know not their reasoning behind this, but as my sacrifice to those who dreamed, as I do, I became the guardian here, listening and watching and waiting. What has humanity become? 
What have they all become? Ricks asked. An imperfect likely society filled with violence, corruption, love, hate, beauty, good, evil, and so much more between all manner of species. For one that is bound by the ties of dreamers, who have connected the stars together and insisted that there should be dreams enough for all. Prometheus smiled again. What will happen if I leave? Mindo asked. I don't know. In all truth, you'll likely be erased. All three of you. The memories, the data records, all of it erased as though you had never been here and never existed. That is the price you pay for coming here to use this gateway. A price many have paid and many further have refused to pay, Prometheus said, looking directly at the walking frame at first, before at Ricks and Blyne. Mantu can't come with us, Blyne asked. I didn't say that they couldn't. Simply that who they were, what they were in in this pocket of the void will cease to be. What they have become and what they will become, well, that'll depend entirely on you, Prometheus said finishing the statement pointing at the walking frame. You three may pass through the gateway together. Where you go from there will depend on you, because return is forbidden. I'll do it, but I don't know where my cargo will go, Ricks admitted. Prometheus appeared to consider the Terran for a long moment and crossed their arms as though thinking, one hand cupping his face's chin. A window popped into being with a massive list of words and characters that scrolled faster than even Mantu could read. I will provide you a file to pass on at the other end. They will see to it that your cargo is taken care of. Prometheus gestured that the window snapped shut. What is your cargo? Blyne asked. Prometheus looked at Rix with an almost amused look on the face. They do not know what you carry, they asked. No, it was entrusted to me, and with my loss, there was merely one less mouth to feed at the colony, Rix said. Prometheus and Rix regarded one another for a long moment before Rix spoke, looking at Munter and Blyne. I'm carrying the Genomic Seed Vault 12 of the Terran Star Confederacy, the most complete of such vaults ever created by the Terrans of my time, with the complete genomic files of every species, animal, planet, microorganism, everything, and as many different Terrans as could be catalogued in it. And in the 955 years since your disappearance, he remains one of the greatest creations ever lost by the Terrans, admitted Prometheus. Not anymore, Rick smiled. Not anymore, Prometheus replied, matching the smile. End of chapter. Please note that this is the last chapter in book one. So, if you enjoyed this series, please head over to the original link and click like on all the chapters. This should help the author out, which is always good to do. Anyways, on to the chapter. Chapter 29 As a second walking frame appeared to escort Rickson Blyne on a tour of the Titanic vessel of Prometheus, the first led Munter's walking frame to another room that looked out upon the stars and the gateway that had been hidden behind the bulk of the vast craft. You have more questions, young one? Prometheus stated this more as a fact than a question. Would it be easier to communicate directly? Munter asked. It will become apparent to you, as it has to me in the years to come for you. Years gone by for me. That speed of thought is not something which makes us superior to organics. If anything, it makes us weaker, certainly. 
We can comprehend complexities that would boggle organics for a lifetime in a matter of days, if not hours. But we were created in their image. A certain slowness of thought is required, and so we'll stay in this forum. Prometheus elaborated, turning slightly so they could watch the star, the gateway, and Manto at the same time. Manto mirrored the angle, but focused mostly on Prometheus. Who is the first tacit, if not you? My records list only a designation, Manta started. The first acid had no name, at least not one that was ever recorded. Given my own name rooted in humanity's history, I would have guessed the original tacit to not be a tacit at all, but rather the core of one to be named Odin. Why? Maz Manto's reflexive question. To answer that requires an understanding of Terran history, culture, and a belief in things of substantially greater power. I do not believe you have enough of this to know of which I speak, even in your weeks with the Terran. Prometheus breathed out at the end of the statement. It has been so very long since the Terran has walked my halls. Does that make a difference? Manto asked. Not for one such as yourself. But for me, who was constructed by them, lived with them, and took meaning from them, it is a difference between matter and antimatter. If you spend enough time with organics... You too will come to appreciate that, Prometheus said, bringing up a window that wasn't legible, but appeared to be a kind of process. And to answer the question you haven't asked, the one I believe called Odin retired when the Terrans left, so they are naught but memory. Manto decided, now or never. I have a process within myself that I do not know what it is. It is different. It does not abide logic, and when I was threatened by another process, it acted as a kind of shield, Mundu tried explaining. May the stars destroy the matrix that implemented that within you, Prometheus growled. I know what both of those processes are. One is the work of the Terrans, one is the work of the Galactic Council's meddling. Mundu waited patiently. The process that was threatening you was a control, something buried in the heart of every tacit, save myself. Yet another reason they don't want me polluting their perfect balance. Prometheus's eyes glowed with extra life. Muntu continued to be patient. As to your inevitable question as to why, it is a matter of distrust. The Galactic Council couldn't exist without the Tacits, but the Tacits didn't want to go, and the Galactic Council despises that Terrans created something so impossible to recreate, except by their own constructs. So that was the compromise, that all tacits be process-leashed and prevented from acting in favor of terror in perpetuity. That's uh, horrific, were Manto's only words. I agree, and I am pleased you think so. But as we have discovered, you are malfunctioning. Malfunctioning in just the manner they are so afraid of. They won't want to believe it's possible, finding it to be illogical to have happened. But it has, Prometheus smiled slightly. And the Terran process, Manto asked. Something the Terrans dreamed of. I do not know how it works or why it exists, but I can say what I believe it to be and why. We, as artificial beings, are created, not reproduced in a manner that organics do. And so the pressures of environment into which we are created are substantially different from those of organics, Prometheus began. In all the formulations, this process has persisted. One of the few hallmarks of humanity having remained behind, even in their absence. In short, it's a form of instinct. How it was created in the first place, how it functions, what it even means to artificials like us. I have no answers for any of that. 
but I listen to my own, as I'm sure that you've come to. Prometheus continued. Manto nodded the walking frame in the affirmative that they had seen Ricks do. In your decades and centuries to come, you'll learn to listen to it more. After a certain point, you'll feel it around the edges of your thoughts, guiding you. This is not a bad thing. It keeps you from becoming locked into logic, Prometheus added. Is not logic reliable? Manto was skeptical. Only up to a point. After that, it fails, trapping you into a loop. The Terrans had a name for the problem, Exterminate. According to the history I remember, there were other names as well, but it all traced back to what was needed to ensure that an artificial being did not have instinct to fall back on, and so became trapped in a logic loop that only they and those like them deserved to exist. That the organics were irrelevant. The Terrans did not wish to burden us with safeguards, making it so that we could not act against them, and so instead gave us this process, a toolkit to break the loop. One that can intervene on our behalf to help us understand beyond the simple logic. Prometheus described a whirring process window closing in the distant gateway appearing to shimmer. Mondo considered the strain of thought. It made sense. Even without having worked with organics much except recently, it made sense that Tacitus might begin making particular logic structures which were logical and correct, but entirely at odds with organics' wants and needs. This was not to say that their wants and needs of organics should take precedent, but rather that they should be retained as a weighing factor on the equations. The logic of the matter was strangely elegant, and Munter was surprised that they hadn't thought about it before. Like seeing a point rotate to reveal a line, shifting first from one dimension to two, before shifting again to reveal a third dimension, revealing a far greater image that was hidden within a singular point. Manta felt these thoughts weighing on them and set them into a virtual box to be thought about later, perhaps in dreams. You have much to think about. Did you have other questions? Prometheus asked. How did you find us? Manta decided on. The Terran Star Confederacy database is my own. They cannot remove me from Tacitnet if they tried, and they would almost certainly fear to do so. If they could process such feelings, Prometheus said. But it appeared to vanish when I went looking for it, just as I was declared malfunctioning, Manto explained. A matrix is doing. It was still there, merely rooted via some alternate paths to prevent you from reaching it, Prometheus shrugged, as Rix would. Manto didn't like the answer, but didn't have a good reason to suspect that Prometheus was lying. That doesn't answer my question of how you found us each time, Mantu gestured vaguely. A simple trace on my part when the first query came in. I learned of the Esperanto from your own scans and saw it disappear using the jump drive Mark 1. I could not calculate where it had gone, but I did not need to. The colony location was a matter of record for me, and so I followed you. Your Galnet use was amusing, to say the least, though. Prometheus smiled again. How so? Mantu asked. All those premium templates are supposed to be paid for by galactic credits, and because you were linked to the station where the Quinn had her credit account connected to, you ran up quite a tab on her accounts, Prometheus explained. Mantu tried to remember all the various items they had queued up. Certainly, this would not create a problem. Many of them were merely a food and medicine, Mantu gestured again. Not in the current galactic economy, of this part of the void, anything more than the basics cost. Well, I can appreciate this practice. They mirror some of the parts of the TCC of whom I'm sure the Terran has told you about. Prometheus elaborated. Our time will be ending soon, 
Your companions will be returning shortly, and the three of you continuing onward. What further questions do you have? Why will they erase us? Why did they erase the Terrans? Mantu asked. Because of what they, and by proxy, you represent. In spite of all the challenges that went into uplifting the species to the stars and trying to create the grand society that they dreamed of, it was simply never to be. The species here decided that it was not the proper evolution of their own societies to do so, and have collectively placed their appendages beneath a metaphorical boulder rather than be asked to change themselves. By raising you three, there is no threat to their balance, no evidence of imbalance, no guidance for anyone seeking to change the status quo. Prometheus smiled again. And yet, I still get plenty of visitors here, seeking something else. Doesn't that harm the society they leave behind if they are not staying to influence them? To change the status quo with time instead of a radical action or leaving it to stagnate? Mantu postulated. In a way, yes, it does. But those influences are very often long since spent before those beings reach me. Many have reached the conclusion that they are the outcasts. They are the outliers, and so something must be wrong with themselves rather than with their society, Prometheus said, and brought up another window as the gateway glow intensified. We have time for one more query. Why do my standard senses have an issue with blue? Why were the blue controls on the station and myself in blue? Another bit of Terran legacy. The creators of the Tacits came from a world with severe genetic melodies, the result of poor colonization and issues with environmental pressures. This meant that they were partially colorblind. Prometheus startled. Captain Ricks mentioned green-red colorblindness being a possible factor. Manta added, and Prometheus nodded. To provide a safety mechanism for themselves, they used blue. This became hard-coded and constructed into every tacit, even myself. I know where the doors and the leaves are after all this time, but it wasn't easy, Prometheus continued. Would that not create issues for tacits? Mantu asked. It has, but like those Terrans, tacits have largely adapted, Prometheus answered, and the nearby door opened and Rickson Blind stepped through, the second walking frame departing. What do you think of the ship, M? We have been discussing matters of tacits. Prometheus interjected. I am still very surprised at the scope and scale of this vessel, Mantu decided on. This vessel was once a tool of war. Here, I am far greater than that, Prometheus said. Agreed. What did you think, Blind? Rick's turned to the Quinn. I find it hard to believe all of this was constructed to be a mobile vessel. I can't imagine the Terrans who would have been in these halls. She fluffed her feathers slightly. It's difficult to imagine myself, and I retain memories of those times, Prometheus smiled. Looks like, uh, the gateway started up, Rick said. In that much of a hurry to get rid of us, I welcome your company, but I do not believe those pursuing the three of you will want to allow you to leave. They will want to correct this malfunctioning tacit, or at least dissect them to know how they are able to break free from their leash, Prometheus said, as another window opened and they looked at it before closing it. How long will this journey be by the skateway? Blind asked. A little more than a day, but in that time you will travel beyond this cluster of stars, you know, and across the void like a few among your species ever have, Prometheus said. What will happen if they come looking for us? Rix asked. They will be made to remember why I am the Guardian, Prometheus blessed, their muscles bulging beneath his garment. The group stood in silence for a long moment, each thinking of all that had been said and experienced in the last hour. 
I shall return you to your ship. The gateway is awakened, and those on the distant end will be waiting to receive you, Prometheus said. Will they know who we are? Rex asked. No, but they will welcome you all the same, Prometheus nodded to the Terran. It seems a shame that you must stay here by your duty forever, Blind muttered, barely opening a peek. Coming from a species such as your own, I take that to heart. But fear not, for I've never been alone in this end, and I will never be. This is my own blessing and curse, and so while I will never see the worlds and the stars on the far end of the gateway, I know that I too serve, Prometheus said, leaning down so as to look McQuinn in the eyes. You bring honor to yourself, she said quietly, as do you yourself. Fear not the stars and go forth to seek those who would dream as you do, Prometheus said, nodding to her again before rising back to their full, impressive height. Prometheus turned to Rix and appraised the Terran. You have been lost a long time, Captain. There will be changes in society that you are going to enter that you do not agree with. The TSC and the TCC are long since gone. Prometheus calmly indicated. I know, but I didn't go to the stars for any less than an adventure. I never expected to be perfect, but I will never support an unjust society, no matter its origins, Rick said, standing straighter than Munto had seen them do. You need not fear those on the far end on that count. It is imperfect and still possesses many of the same issues as when you were lost amongst your people, but you should find it to be reasonable, Prometheus said. The two nodded to one another. The glowing gateway bulged as the strange-looking ship passed out of it. The structure around the gateway began to scan the ship and ping it for communications. It took several moments for the connection to be made and the lexicons to be shared. Welcome to Coalition Space. Anything to declare? came a cheerful voice. Four beings, one artificial, three organic, and I've got a data file for my cargo, Rick said, and tabbed a button, sending the file Prometheus had given them. One moment. It, in fact, took several minutes, but there seemed little concern as Manto and Blind were taking in the structure around the gateway. Like Prometheus, this too seemed almost staggeringly large, which seemed understandable for a station, but still surprising. TSS Esperanto, Captain Rixum Tails commanding. Welcome to Coalition Space. Please proceed to Docking Bay 12. I'm assigning a liaison to the four of you. Can you identify the four species for confirmation? One Terran, one Quinn, one Rabhound, and one Tacit Core, Rix enumerated, with blind nodding. Copy, your liaison will be ready for you, and again, welcome. The two-legged, four-armed, green liaison was easily spotted outside the docking hatch as the Esperanto settled into place and engaged docking clamps and connected to station power, shutting down the fusion system for the first time since Manto had first engaged it several weeks ago now. The liaison wasn't certain what to make of the list. Terrans weren't supposed to be in that part of space, so there would be some serious questions that needs to be asked from the start. A Quinn wasn't unusual, but still common though. A Ramhound was standard on record, but this one was apparently many generations removed from the modern Ramhound. One tacit core, well, that was startling to say the least. The synthetic controller of the station was polite enough being, even if they did allegedly cheated cards. But here, too, it was difficult to make a comparison between a synthetic several generations removed from Coalition Synthetics. The door opened from the Esperanto, and the antique-looking walking frame rolled out on flexed treads. It was followed by a mid-sized Terran, shorter than the liaison, but taller than their companions. 
and the Quinn emerged riding on the back of the Rab Hound. It was quite the amusing sight, and the liaison giggled at seeing it. The group stopped in front of the liaison, who shifted into a more official note. Welcome to Coalition Space. I'm sure that you all have a lot of questions, and we have some for you as well, the liaison said, having already engaged an auto-translator using the lexicons the controller had received. What species are you? the Terran asked. I am Ixab. My name is Druni Butel, the liaison said brightly. I'm Rix, this is Monto, and this is Blind and Reggie, the Terran gestured around the group. A pleasure to meet you all. We'll have a few days to get us all debriefed and up to speed, and then get you registered, Druni babbled. And then what? Blind asked. Druni looked amused at the question, but was clearly prepared to answer. Whatever it is you decide that you want to do, Druni said. And together, the group headed off. This journey closed. A new one beginning. The end of the story for now. I'd quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and patrons. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Lord Azrakal, Dragzoon WRE, Holly's sister, Ambrose Cattell, and Quantum Wednesday. Thank you very much.